Thank you for downloading this episode of the Culture Chat Podcast by WorkXO, where we explore the intersection of workplace culture, progressive leadership, and the future of work. Follow us on Twitter at WorkXO and on LinkedIn and Facebook at The Workplace Genome, our cloud-based culture management platform. To learn more, visit WorkXO.com. Hello, everybody. This is Charlie Judy, founder and CEO of WorkXO. Really glad to be here with you yet again today for another edition of the Culture Chat podcast. Uh, We've been doing a little bit more of this lately. I really am finding that uh, I much prefer to have a good conversation with a good person about culture and the world of work and the future of work than to sit down and write a blog post, although we're still doing some of that. These conversations are just so much more meeting, meaty, and we're finding that, that really anybody, uh, anywhere, um, with any exposure to the world of work uh, has some good things to say about culture in general, and as you know, that's what we're all about here at WorkXO, culture. Analyzing it, measuring it, analyzing it, uh, and activating it through our culture management platform. Uh, and we're learning a lot as we work with cool organizations out there that are really getting and staying intentional about managing their own cultures. And so if you're ever interested in talking with me about that offline, please do. But let's get straight to our guest, Kirstie Spragan, excuse me, Kirstie, who um, is joining us from the West Coast. I think you're sitting on the West Coast today. I'm not sure about that, but you can tell us in just a second. Uh, I met Kirsty out on the West Coast, actually, in the Valley, Silicon Valley, during a, a conference. And um, as I spend a lot of my time at these conferences, I've become very good at, uh, at identifying in, in short order, usually within a minute or two, whether or not this is somebody I actually want to spend my time with. And with Kirsty, it was about five seconds before I realized that this is somebody that's got some good stuff going and I needed to... Um, to learn and to share and to just generally um, converse with and I did that uh, and we've done that since then and I'm continuing to learn a lot of stuff from her and I think you, you will do the same today. Um, Kirsty is an international um, keynote speaker. She is an author. Uh, she is a producer. She's a TV host. She does lots of Uh, awesome stuff in the media space and she's on stage a lot and she's got some great content a lot of which and I'm gonna totally summarize this but a lot of which has to do with fear 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 so much of which shows up in the workplace in so many ways and I could make the argument I won't though um, that fear is probably at the base the, the foundation of of much, if not all, of what we characterize or classify as the workplace, the modern workplace woes. It's, it's fueling a lot of bad mojo in the workplace, and so we need less of it. We need ways to combat it. We need to be more brave, and there's no better person to talk about that than Kirsty. I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit more, just tell us where she's coming from so that we can establish her point of view, and then we'll ask the one big question that will fuel our conversation, as we always do. So with that, Kirsty, thanks so much for being here with us today, and um, I'll throw it to you for a second. 
Thanks, Charlie. Yes, it's exciting to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. I um, I love talking about culture and fear and bravery, so this is going to be a wonderful conversation. Um, you know, my background, I started out, um, my father was in real estate and I, I got involved pretty young at sort of 17, 18, um, and then traveled the world, did lots of different things, went to over 40 countries. So I was pretty fearless at that age. I remember sort of always being um, driven by the chase. Um, and then in sort of my 30s, I went heavily into real estate um, as an independent salesperson. And as a realtor, I was in ranked in the top 1% of 120,000 agents worldwide. Um, and, you know, that at that time, I think now looking back at it, it really my success was camouflaging all of my unworthiness. And, and a lot of the underlying fear at that time was driven by not feeling good enough. Um, and then leaving that and going into motivational speaking, moving from the West Coast to the East Coast, never having been on stage. You know, I remember at that time there was a ton of fear around this loss of identity and my ego fighting for, you know, I had so much identity wrapped up in being this successful realtor and then all of a sudden feeling like a nobody who was starting all over again um, and then moving to Los Angeles and starting out in a whole new world at a um, you know, later 30s, so a more mature age and feeling like, am I going to be able to recreate this success um, and from starting from scratch? So for me, you know, when you talk about fear, um, it's definitely been there driving a lot of my work history, decisions and career. And I think that when we look at workplace culture, it's ultimately the leaders who have the ability to be role models and we all can lead, um, but certainly the people who are who are truly leaders within organisations, um, if they can be brave and model that, it's something that everybody can learn from witnessing. I love this. And, I, and, and, and I, mean, I mean, just as you're talking, I'm, I'm writing down a couple of things that, uh, a lot of things that just, just stand out, some of which are just concepts I've never really even considered. And so I want to make sure that we touch on those as we get into that. Um, but let's start, let's start at kind of, maybe not 30,000 feet, but, you know, 2,000 feet. I mean, let's, Let's have the one big question be, um, how, how do you see fear showing up in culture slash workplace? How do we get better at identifying it, you know, kind of affiliating with it, naming it, calling it what it is? And let's, let's call that part one of the question. Part two will be a follow-up kind of around the so what so like how what do we do about it but let's start with this kind of how do you identify with fear how do you name it how do you own it what does it look like so on and so forth would love to hear from you on that look i think that my answer to this now is so different to what it would have been 10 years ago or 20 years ago and i think that that is part of our journey with fear is you know for me what it's all about now is it's all wrapped up in this concept of doing my inner work. And I'm constantly, you know, one of the things I talk about when I'm on stage is choosing to do the work. Now, a lot of us are used to doing business work, career work, and, and we value that and we struggle when we're not busy. And for me, what I've learned now is I actually, I can go further faster if I can step back more often and I'm talking daily, sometimes every few hours, and I can check in and I can do my inner work of what is really going on here. 
So why am I not making the phone call? Why am I not speaking up in the meeting? Why am I not taking a risk on this new idea? That for me is what ultimately we need to be doing is getting to a place where we're doing more inner work, where we're reflective, because that is where all the answers are as to what all of the thoughts and feelings we're having are trying to tell us. And that's when we have the ability to make change. Once we're aware of it, and we're having those conversations and we're starting to even notice how and why we're behaving in certain ways and where fear might be holding us back or driving us, that's the only way that ultimately we're able to make any changes in directions or course. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and it, I think this is one of, the, one of the themes that's showing up in really any, any number of aspects of kind of culture and work, but this, this, this inner work uh, concept is, is pretty powerful, but it's, it has a lot to do with kind of owning it, right? So, like, like yeah. we the individual within the workplace has got to start getting in tune with, in touch with what's going on inside We've got to get, you know, more comfortable doing that on our own as opposed to always looking to the organization or to the manager or to the leader or maybe even just to the culture to, to pave the way for, right? Some of this is about our own work. Yeah. Look, I think that um, as individuals, we have to all take personal responsibility. And I say you can't go professionally where you won't go personally. So if you're not willing to look at your stuff, in your personal life, in your childhood, in your home, you're not going to be able to look at it all in the professional sense because all mm. of those things, you know, we all have, look at Thanksgiving and going home for the holidays, how many triggers we have around family and, and all of that is really ingrained from a very young age. So the way that we're showing up professionally is deeply impacted by the journey we've had in our personal life. And so the only way we can start making change in that way is for us to do that work. Yes, the organization can model it. Yes, they can provide, I mean, like bringing me in as a speaker. I have an amazing client. I'm, I'm flying to Maui in a couple of weeks. And he's like, let's do three days of deep dive inner work. We're going to do vulnerability. We're going to do shame. We're going to talk about all of this stuff. So certainly organizations can lead the way in that sense. Like that's pretty new. I didn't have, you know, t 10 years ago as a speaker, I didn't have a ton of clients asking me to come in and talk about this. And so it definitely shifted. Before they would talk about fear, but they wouldn't talk about what that really meant and how to be brave, we need to look at vulnerability and we need to look at shame and we need to look at all of our stuff. Mm. And so that I definitely think that organizations can be proactive and be courageous to, to get outside of the box and get ahead of this and to shift and to do things that, you know, like organizations like Google and Zappos where they've been seen previously as doing things that are a little bit uh, woo-woo, having showers and pods and sleep mm -hmm. and meditation mm -hmm. rooms, you know, and own Oprah's network. And so I definitely think that there is um, a place for organizations in this to to, in terms of culture, to lead the way and to be true leaders in that sense and for, you know, high-level leaders, managers, C-suite to certainly be modelling this because you can't um, expect all of your people to look at their own stuff if you're not going to look at your own. So yeah. it's like a parent saying to their child, I want you to do this but don't watch what I'm doing kind of thing. Yeah. So definitely think there's, there's a cultural responsibility but I also think that the individual has to feel ready to do that work and safe. And yeah. so that's where the, the individual does the work, 
but certainly the organization providing that safe space makes a huge difference. So that was that. That's exactly where where my kind of head was going. I mean, I, I think I think you know how much of this is about permission, you know, about you call it safe space. That's that is a little bit about permission. Like it's okay to be fearful. I mean, I mean we, we and vulnerable, <laughs> right? Know? That's a, that's a great word too. I mean, we we because are conditioned. That's what bravery is right. And we and we are conditioned to show no weakness in the workplace, right? Yeah. So yeah, and if we do, and something goes wrong, you know, and then people feel like they're not going to do that again. Yeah. So I definitely think that you know, for me, being brave e- equals being vulnerable. Mm. You know, I don't think there's anything more courageous in life than showing up as you truly are, than sharing and expressing how you feel, than trusting yourself enough to be your most authentic self. You know, I think that I wrote an article recently. It was actually um, through the event that we met at in San Jose. I was doing another um, podcast and I was talking about this idea of true self. And I'm like, gosh, you know, I remember showing up at, at networking events 10 years ago when it was almost like my needy self would show up, the, the self who was bullied and picked on as a child. And so I hated being in any new kind of in big groups of people. And, and I would show up as aggressive and I'd have to like talk to everyone and want to be seen. And so I think that when we're in fear and when we're not able to be vulnerable, these dysfunctional behaviors start to show up. And so when you can start, like it took me a good five years to notice that behavior in that situation and go, oh, I don't like how, because this isn't me, this isn't who I was like five minutes before I walked in. Um, Or another example, you know, recently I was at a um, vibrational healing class, like a sound bath for yogis, and I go into the room and I didn't really want to sit too close to people. I wanted my own space. Mm. And I, I wasn't really feel, I was a bit defensive. I wasn't really feeling like being all lovey-dovey. But by the end of the session, I wanted everyone holding hands and singing Kumbaya and sitting as close as possible to me. And so <laughs> that is our true self. Yeah. But we have all of these defensive mechanisms and walls up that, that stop us. And so even when you're doing this work for decades, it doesn't stop. There are layers and layers and layers to peel off. And so... For me, it's looking at that daily and, as I said, sometimes every few hours to check in with myself and look at where I'm at. Yeah. So um, talk a little bit more about just from the organizational side. I mean, and, and I don't know if it's possible to, you know, kind of get, um, you know, detailed here or actionable here, but what kinds of things can organizations do or can leaders do to – um, you know, to pave the way, to, to, to create the safe space, to, to give permission, to, to be more comfortable with uh, identifying with and, and allowing, the organiz- allowing the individual to do kind of the inner work. I mean, give us some thoughts on that. I think that, you know, and this is by no means a promo of my own work, but any speaker who is speaking on this kind of material, like they need to be bringing people into the organization because it's like um, playing a board game without any rules or opening up any of the instructions. Like you've just got the board game. Like you need, first you need the tools. So if this is something that's new for them and it's something that, you know, I work with organizations where the leader will say to me, gosh, 
you know, we talk about one of the things that I teach them is to find their baseline and um, without going into details of what all that is, but the comment from them will be, gosh, I think I lost it like five or six years ago. I don't know where it is. So sometimes the leaders haven't even been doing this work and they're on this journey too. Mm. And so the first step is to bring in someone who can help you with what are the rules of the game? What are those instructions? How do we even understand what it means to not be going professionally um, where we're not going personally? What does it mean to be vulnerable? What sort of stuff might be there that's blocking me? How do I even recognize it? And so I think the first thing is to, to whether it's through um, workshops, through materials, books, um, I think there's a ton of different ways that you can start by learning those rules of engagement by shifting your paradigm like this is something that people need a huge change around and shift around it's it's, it's like anything else i mean if you look at how sales was done 50 years ago everything was about like that whole used car salesman kind of feel everything right. was like do you have a script like if you went into a sales training everything was about having a script that doesn't yeah. happen anymore we're now having conversations about how do we connect how do we have relationships? And so mm. this is a new paradigm. This is yeah. a new way of looking at culture and having relationships in the workplace and um, a new way of leading, a new way of being as individuals. And so a lot of work has to be done on that. It's not um, something that's going to happen in a one-hour session or a one-day session, but, you know, you can certainly start the conversation, open the dialogue and and begin getting some tools for having those conversations in your workplace for sure. And then you can look at, well, how are we going to deepen this? What are we going to put in place? You know, um, for example, one of the things I do is every day I have a daily management chart. And so instead of charting my day in the way I used to in the old paradigm 20 years ago, and, and I was all around hustle and busyness, now I'm around trust and manifestation and checking in with myself and knowing where I'm at and looking at if I'm at my baseline or not. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the stuff that you're talking about, it, it's kind of that fine line between, you know, it's, it's complex, but it doesn't have to be hard. I mean, some, no. some of it is just, you know, maintenance or d daily, um, you know, it requires a little bit of uh, intention, uh, certainly a lot of intention, I'm sorry, but a little bit of methodology. I mean, you've got to, you, you've got to have some things that you, you stick to. I like this idea of kind of rules of the game. It, it is a new game, and nobody has the rule book. And if there are organizations, if there's anything that organizations need some outside help on, this is likely one of them. You know, we, <laughs> organizations are good at thinking that they can do anything, right, that they're good at doing anything. I can tell you right now that this is not something that comes natural, naturally to, to enterprise or corporate America, certainly. Um, well, so, you know, you know what I really think, though, is that a lot of this is a coming home. So when mm. you talk about it not being hard, but being simple, but sometimes hard, I think that this is actually us in our most natural state. I think it's about us unlearning all of the things that put the fear and built the fear and ch we, we became detached from ourselves. And as I said, for me, there was a lot of this unworthiness being buried in the busyness. And mm. so I think that it's actually about becoming more in tune with ourself and our body, becoming closer to our natural state and trusting ourselves, and relearning how to hear our own voice um, ab above all of the layers that we've put on over that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, there, um, and I'm, I'm of course, you know, and my head is connecting the dots between the things that you're talking about and and what we have been measuring and, and gathering data on in, in, in the realm of culture. Um, mm. And I, I, I know that there's just some really strong correlations um, b between this inner work, uh, getting a handle on, and, and just becoming more aware of the fear. Um, and what... Well, I, I would, what, what I would shows imagine up? Yeah. One, of the, one of the things that you would measure would be engagement, and I would imagine that that shows up very highly. And no one can be engaged with anything if they're not engaged with themselves. Yeah. If they're feeling detached and busy and stressed and overwhelmed and they're in fear, I mean, fear does so many things to the brain. I mean, when cortisol kicks in and we have that increase to our neural connections in the amygdala and that our brain shrinks, our concentration is poor, we have a loss of memory, it affects our ability to interact socially, it impairs our decision-making and judgment. And so you can't really do very much from that fear place that is healthy for yourself or the organization. And so all yeah. of this stuff, like it can be running at such a low level. If people have been dealing with this for decades, sometimes you don't even realize it's still there running the show. It's the thing that is, is showing up as, you know, when, I, when I'm not my true self, when I'm there not really wanting to be as close to other people, where I'm feeling uncomfortable in a new setting, where I'm feeling like I have to be hyper-aggressive or come across really strong. Like, it's the thing that shows up when we're not able to be at peace with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, <laughs> it's like the gunk that's in the gears, you know, and, and, and you got you, you to gotta kind of clean it out before you can... Um, really start making progress. It's it's powerful um, in, in a lot of ways. I, I, I want you I want you to um, just uh, put a little bit more context around one term that that, that stood out for me, uh, and then we'll probably have to start winding this down as much as I don't want to. Um, you, you, <laughs> you, you you referred to this kind of camouflage, um, the, you know, the camouflaging of the unworthiness. And what was, yeah. what, what was paradoxical about that is that the context in which you shared it was the more and more successful I got, you know, that success actually breeded, bred, whatever, the, the camouflage. Talk to me, yeah. talk to us a little bit more about that, that relationship. I think that's really interesting. Well, and I think that, you know, it is paradoxical and, and people can look at it and go, but they're being really successful or they're having a lot of success, but at some point, it all falls apart, right? you know, like at some point that addiction, whether it's alcohol, sex, drugs, all the things we use to numb and not deal with our feelings, exercise and busyness and being a workaholic are in the same category. They just appear healthier at the time and you, or you might be able to make more excuses for it or think that it's functional, but at some point it, you burn out and it's not sustainable. Your relationships suffer it, it, somewhere in your life will, will suffer when we don't look at this stuff. And so for me, you know, I was driven by being picked on, being bullied. It was almost like I wanted to be successful so that I could give them the finger and go, well, look what I did. I've made it kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so for a, over a decade, you know, it was when I left real estate and went into the speaking that I kind of lost my identity and ego. It was all attached. And I started to have that awareness that it wasn't all 
being driven by me. This success was around success. Whereas what I would say now is my career is more of a dharma and a purpose. I'm mm. doing something that I love and every day I'm intentional about what love and light I put into the world and the transformation I can have in my own life and others and the impact I can have. That wasn't going on before. There wasn't intention around my work and what I was doing. And so I think that um, in terms of looking at this stuff, like you, you can use a lot of different things to camouflage your not good enough stuff and your fear, um, but it's always there. And the longer we ignore it, the bigger the problem becomes. So at some point it catches up with you and you get a wake-up call um, or an aha moment, or, you know, if the summit starts off as whispers and then it becomes slaps. And if you don't listen to it, it becomes a wrecking ball in the form of heart attacks and strokes and lots of different ways that it can manifest in our life or destroyed relationships. So I think that the sooner we can realize what's driving our behaviors, what is there in terms of, am I truly happy? Am I loving what I'm doing? You know, why am I, why am I not? And then in terms of daily behaviours, like when you see yourself not wanting to speak up in a boardroom meeting or not wanting to share ideas or wanting to, to be that hyper-aggressive person at a networking event, the crazy card lady that has to meet everybody, like checking in with yourself <laughs> and going, like, why did I show up like that? What was really dry? Like these conversations and, again, it can in the beginning it can feel a little bit like self-therapy and you're talking to yourself all the time and that, but... It, and, it, and it is a lot of work, this inner work in the beginning. But later on, it becomes effortless. It is yeah. normal for me now to check yeah. in with those things and to feel what I'm feeling. And yes, in the beginning, it's incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and our, our natural mechanism is to want to numb. It is to use food and, and alcohol and all those other things um, to not feel and, and hear our inner voice. Mm. So there is a, a transition process. This takes time and it takes self-love and bravery and vulnerability and courage um, to be willing to sit with our feelings and truly look at ourselves and look at what we might need to change. So I, I want to put a capstone on this and it's, it's not going to do it justice, but there's just, I mean, there's so many things flying around in my head right now. I want, I want to, I want to point out a couple things. One, I love this concept of don't let success drive success. Like or the the, mm. the the need for success to drive success. Like success is an outcome. It's an outcome of all the right things that you do and and doing them for the right reasons. We we have that same kind of conversation around employee engagement. You brought the term up. You know, employee engagement is an outcome. It's not it's not a program. It's and 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 and, and you can only drive true engagement if if you're doing the right things and the right things are different for your organization than they are for that organization and your workforce and than they are for the other workforce. I mean, it's really about getting in tune with what's going to drive our success. Um, so I, I, I think that's a really valuable concept for us to leave with. I think organizations need to do more of this work. Individuals need to do more of this work. It's complex, but it doesn't have to be hard. And I think people like Kirsty, certainly Kirsty, can help. Um, and, and we should be talking more with people like her to kind of figure out where it fits within our own organization. Before we hang up, before we press the stop button, sh share with everybody, Kirsty, how people can get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing. 
um, so that we can bridge some bridge some relationships here. Thank you. Um, my email is Kirsty at KirstySpragan.com. Um, you can Google my name. It'll come up with KirstySpragan.com or Kirsty TV. And I'm on all social media, LinkedIn, everywhere um, as either Kirsty Spragan or Kirsty TV. So yeah, check us out and stay connected. I'd love to hear from anyone who watched the interview. Awesome. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and downloaded it, and and which you can do incidentally on Stitcher and Podbean and iTunes, and um, you can do it from our blog, workxo.com. Please follow us as well and stay close and um, listen for the next podcast, which will be out, I'm sure, shortly. Uh, Kirsty, we're going to invite you back. We're going to need to because this conversation it has only really just begun. Um, in, in the meantime, thanks so much for, for spending time with us today. And uh, have a good one, everybody. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Culture Chat Podcast by WorkXO. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WorkXO and on LinkedIn and Facebook at The Workplace Genome, our cloud-based culture management platform. To learn more, visit workxo.com.